Universal Traveler, Universal Spaceman, Universal Traveler, Universal Welcome, fellow space and time travelers, to bands are like girlfriends. My name is Chris Spät and this is my little podcast about music, the 90s and playing in bands. So, the 90s, right? It's been almost 30 years. It's 2020. 30 years ago was 1990. And 30 years before that was 1960. It's crazy, right? It doesn't seem like so much has happened in the music world since the 90s ended, right? But it has been 20 years. There have been good records since, but it still seems to me like the amount of great music that has come out in the 90s is so high that it, every other decade fades in comparison. I mean, obviously the 60s had very important bands and music and um, lots of the music that we listen to today is, goes back to that. But the 90s are kind of underestimated, I think, today. Uh, we had different musical genres that became really big, like grunge. Then we had that punk explosion. We had um, rap becoming really popular during the 90s and dance music, electronic music, and we also had really huge superstars like Madonna, Michael Jackson, and also bands like Guns N' Roses, Nirvana. It was just everything was big and everything was hyped and blown up, and a huge amount of money was made from music. But of course that's just one half of the story, because there wasn't just mainstream music. In the 90s there were also really strong underground scenes during that time, like the punk and hardcore scene, like uh, underground rap, underground electronic music. So a lot of good music was made during that time, both underground and overground. But especially in mainstream music, once they ran out of good music to hype and good bands to sign, they just decided to you know, fabricate their own bands and genres to make even more money. So that's how boy bands and dance music became big during the 90s. It became really decadent at some point because there were these producers sitting in their studios hemorrhaging out song after song and, you know, people just bought it all. So that's where today's guest on the show comes in to play. Um, she's uh, actually my neighbor. So some of you know that I um, commute between Germany and Spain and when I'm in Spain across the street there's this British lady Uh, who asked me if I could help her set up her own podcast. And, you know, we got into talking and it turned out that she also has a 90s music background. And so I asked her to be on my podcast too. So that's what happened. Her name is Emma Bordman and she was part of a 90s Euro trash dance group called Heath Hunter and the Pleasure Company. Maybe you remember them, maybe not. <clears throat> you know, the song Revolution in Paradise was a top 10 hit in many countries in 96 or so. Which goes like, here we go, here we stay, it's revolution in paradise. And then just when you think it's, it couldn't get any more kitsch, then there's this Peruvian pan flute coming in, going like... So, yeah, I had a TV set in my bedroom back then, when I was like 15, 16, and I had the music channels Viva and MTV running all day, I guess hoping that at some point you'd catch a good song, you know, like a Weezer song or a Green Day song. And, you know, among others, this song would play, so that's how I know it. And maybe you do too. 
And of course, I thought it was really shitty, but many people liked that kind of thing. It was really popular and people bought those CDs like crazy. This is, you know, maxi CDs for, I don't know, you know, two songs for 10, 12 marks. It was in Germany. And then there were all these double CD compilations like Bravo Hits or whatever it was called then. And people just bought that shit. And I don't know what happened to all these CDs probably ended up in recycling plants or landfills. But I guess millions were sold back then. So that's what we're going to talk about today, about this whole crazy last bonanza of the music industry in the mid to late 90s, before it all went downhill with Napster and MP3 ruining the music business, you know, maybe for the better. So here's my conversation with Emma Boardman. Enjoy. This is fun because obviously my, the podcast, I talk usually about the people I met, you know, during the time when I was uh, playing in bands and we used to tour and play concerts and, you know, met lots of interesting people, but it was a totally different kind of music that, you, that you're in. <laughs> but it was around the same time, so I thought it might be interesting. And also because when I was um, growing up and then in Germany we had MTV and Viva, And then that's where the connection comes into place because the kind of music that you, uh, you know, were, were in, that was uh, all the time on TV. So I know all the songs actually by heart, I realized, even though I would never say I like that kind of music or I never bought that kind of CD. But you didn't turn it off the TV, though, so obviously really it wasn't that it bad. Off. It was just, you know, it's very, it's very present in the back of my head still because when you just put on that song, The revolution, yeah. uh, revolution in paradise. paradise. I know. Well, the thing is, no one claims that um, that they think this music's cool, but everybody knows it. And clearly, even in your case, even though you were a really cool, credible artist or aspiring to be, <laughs> you didn't even turn it off. So exactly. there must be something good about it. Yeah, yeah. something must be about it. So um, where did you where did you grow up? Did you were you born and raised in London or? Yeah, I was actually born um, in. England, in the south coast of England, by the beach. Very, very nice, quiet, rural upbringing. Um, and then I was I was desperate to get out of my home and get up to London where I knew it was all exciting and where everything happened. So although I was born in London, I think I would say I was shaped... I Sorry, I was born in Dorset. I would say I was shaped in London. Mm -hmm. That's what made me. That's where I learned everything that I needed to know and more. And so the 80s and 90s would probably be the time where you were out in London and having fun? And I think I'm not that old to be in, out in the 80s. because I would, Okay, I'm late 80s maybe, early 90s. Late 90s, 90s, 90s. Um, uh -huh. was my time. Uh -huh. And how was that then, back then in London? Was it a big, with a rave scene and what was the was big all, thing? There was all scenes. Mm -hmm. um, we, I obviously had an affinity to... Slightly less hardcore music, as you can probably see from the, the job I ended up doing in Germany. Um, really big dance scene. But you had kind of something of everything, really. To be perfectly honest, the clubbing days of mine in the 90s are all a bit of a blur. <laughs> <laughs> that means they were good, right? A good blur. If you can remember, it wasn't that good, right? That's what, That's what say. I'm saying. So <laughs> it was just good. It was really good. It was really fun. And it was. I learned a lot, saw a lot. And I had a little sideline, because I was a dancer. That was my 
kind of main job when I when I left college, a professional TV dancer. That's what led me to being in the band. Mm-hmm. And um, I danced for lots of artists as their backing dancer, lots of TV, loads of pro- pop promos. But on the sideline, we used there's a club called Emporium in central London, and they used to have professional dancers dancing on a Friday and Saturday night. Four podiums, four dancers, amazingly dressed, yeah. only professional dancers. It was mm-hmm. it was kind of it was a really really cushy job, and um, I was dragged in there out of an audition once. This um, drag queen, um, off off duty drag queen, mm-hmm. kind of put her head round an audition that I was doing. I said, "You, you'd be great at the Emporium. Come down on Friday at nine o'clock." And I was like, "Oh my god." This, I'd heard about it, mm-hmm. and I'd heard that they kind of use supermodels and everything. So I was like, really? I'm like five foot six. Is that going to work? Mm-hmm. And um, I went down, and we got dressed in some spangly random costume, because I'm an Egyptian whore. <laughs> <laughs> and I danced, and it was the place to be. You had all the celebs in there, Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. and crew. I mean, everybody who was anybody was in this club at the time. Mm-hmm. So to have been asked to dance there was massive, and... The, the first night went well, and I um, was asked to come back. And after a few weeks, I realised this drag queen person thing had actually got excited about me, as they did many other people. So there was hordes of new people coming in every week, and I was like, I'm going to lose my gig. Yeah. <laughs> so I took it upon myself to do a rotor for all the girls that were there. Uh-huh. And actually, that um, resulted in me being found out by the owners a couple of weeks on, I know what you've been doing. And I was like, yeah, they said, we like it. We'd like to make you the entertainment manager. So not only did I secure my amazing gig and the best club that I would wanted to be in at that time, but I got to organise the girls, book who I wanted, got paid extra to be there. So it was a great weekend gig. That so sounds cool. Yeah. So because in that time, yeah, the dance, the whole dance thing, it's it really started, you know, not much before that, right? In the 80s, there wasn't that much. Because that's a typical image that you have of the 90s of those dance parties or techno parties as well, right? This, uh, the, it exploded. The, the podest and, and, and the girls dancing there and yeah. everybody like wearing, uh, you know, construction worker helmets and stuff like that. Exactly. Was it like that? Well, I wasn't in a construction worker helmet, <laughs> but going down the right road, um, it was a very classy vocal house kind of club. Mm-hmm. It wasn't massively ravey. It was, it was stylish. It was okay. a celebrity joint. It was the place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the kind of people who would have worn construction hats. And uh-huh. That wasn't <laughs> me, darling. <laughs> but no, it was. It it ex- it did explode. But then the age I was, I'd just come out of college. I was twenty one. Hadn't experienced that much else before that. Obviously, I'd seen music, and I think that you had car wash back in the seventies which was mm-hmm. obviously different music, but the same kind of feel okay. with the dancing girls. and I know nothing else. about this, this Don't, scene. You're far too young yeah. to know this. You must have heard 70s music. Yeah, yeah, da- the disco, you mean? Yeah, disco the disco scene. vibe. Yeah, but the yeah, disco definitely. era was a very mm-hmm. sexy yeah. time. And um, there was still, when I was in London, a, a car wash scene, and I got invited down to dance because... Um, so, so car wash is the kind of music it was called? Was the, it was the name of this night, but it was a night oh, okay. organised, very, very um, strong following. Yeah. And it was like a scene okay. of people who literally hadn't left the 70s. It was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'd heard about it again, but I was too busy doing my stuff. But what would happen is you'd get known as being one of the girls 
who was on the scene uh, doing it. So you'd get invited to dance at different places, like make a guest appearance. And mm-hmm. I was invited to car wash for the night. Mm-hmm. And it was very druggy, very dirty, very seedy. And I felt quite odd. But I did end up staying, hanging out after the night of dancing with the owners of the, the organisers of this thing for four days. Mm-hmm. I lost four days of my life oh. off one gig. Anyway, I'm still here to tell the story, <laughs> so it's all good. But that was, it was kind of, I remember going back to the owner's house and um, some amazing penthouse thing. It was very decadent, quite an extraordinary experience. You've seen a lot in that scene, I tell you. And there was was a massive bowl of drugs and I had no idea. There was a time when the music business was still dashing out money left and right. And uh, they were still doing well, right? Towards the the mid-90s. There was definitely a lot of money going around. It did change a lot a few few years after that, right? With the the people starting to download music and record labels making less money. Mm. But back then, I guess it was really decadent. It was very decadent. And I said, I do enjoy the sounds of the 70s. Um, It's very interesting. That little snapshot of that era had been brought through to the this, the London club scene in the 90s and mm-hmm. was a big deal but it was just felt quite over the top and I didn't mm-hmm. really ever want to go back and get involved with it again but it was interesting to have an insight into mm-hmm. that and so how did it happen that you um, became a member of the the Heath Hunter and the Revolution gang Heath Hunter and the Pleasure Company oh Pleasure Company okay so at the time I was on the London scene I said this club stuff I'm talking about it was just weekend stuff I mean mm. it was it was not what the career was based on but mm-hmm. as you know when, you, when you're working on big jobs you always got your little jobs to keep you going so exactly. in between that's what we did so I was always auditioning for different jobs up at Pineapple Studios in London um, your agent sends you down for this that and, and and you rock up and you, you do your thing, highly competitive, really bitchy, loads of girls, all quite similar looking, all kind of dance the same. It's really quite a cutthroat industry. So just it was I was just at another audition, doing our thing, busting out the routine. And um, at the end of the audition, um, Heath, who actually flew over to host it, said, um, has anyone got any tricks, like tumbling tricks or anything? Mm-hmm. Now, that was my um, winning streak in the... What's that, tumbling trick? Tumbling, like gymnastics. Oh, okay, yeah, because you were a gymnast. Exactly. Well, Mm -hmm. this is why I was a little bit hated by many of the the girls in that scene, because Mm -hmm. I trained for my whole life since I was two in in elite gymnastics. So I was not only a dancer, I could roll out a row of flicks and a somersault and tumble like the best of them. Mm -hmm. So... That happened quite a lot. They'd want some little extra thing. It was like being able to juggle or something. So my Heath was blown away. He loves acrobatic skills and stuff. And um, he took me and another girl called Renee. <laughs> she couldn't flip, but she had nice big boobs. And um, we literally were given two weeks to be flying out to Germany. And they flew us out. And again, it was just another gig. We were so used to... It was like a gig mentality. We were yeah. booked for jobs left, right yeah, and centre. Yeah. Some jobs were two hours, some jobs were a day, some yeah. jobs were a week. You kind of just rolled going with... But did you have, like, agents or yeah. something? Yeah. You had agents for different er- mm-hmm. sorry, different mm-hmm. areas. And um, you'd just be sent up for castings and auditions. Some you get, some you don't. And it just kind of rolls like that. So this gig takes me to Hamburg. I'm like, cool, mm-hmm. this sounds fun be a dancer in this band mm-hmm. um didn't know anything about never heard of heath hunter before that had that 
industry, interestingly, is as well known as it was in Germany. We didn't have Viva, mm-hmm. we were, and it hadn't crossed over to the UK at all. Uh-huh, wow. So it so was it, really a, a, a German-based operation. Really? But Heath is uh, he's from, from London as Originally well. Originally, he's from Nottingham, north, okay. north of England. But you didn't know him before, so... No, no, no. You were brought together in Germany, basically. Yeah, uh-huh. that was a... So we got to meet him, then we're thrown into rehearsals, given an, given an apartment in Hamburg. This is where you stay, you re- this is your rehearsal schedule. Uh-huh. Okay, I remember walking into a German supermarket really hungry and crying, because I was like, didn't know what anything was. Uh-huh. Okay. We were very much on our own, and I was like, I'm really hungry, and I don't, and I don't know what... You don't know what Brot means. <laughs> no. no, I mean, I didn't know any German words. Uh-huh. I'm English, darling, I'm a monolingual English person, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> Um, but um, so, so we're very much on our own, thrown into rehearsals. And how much time did it uh, did you spend in Hamburg? Was it a longer period? Or? Nearly two years. So wow, you lived in Hamburg for two years. How do you like it? around. Yeah, I mean, we were on tour most of the time. Okay, on because the road. Hamburg is a great great city to live in. I would say it's one of the best to go out in Germany. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was exciting. Mm. It was very alien and very. I'd been to a few places, but I hadn't ever lived in another country before. So you, you had more or less the similar experience as the Beatles, because they were brought to Hamburg to, to exactly. get their chops, right, <laughs> and playing. Exactly. And uh, yeah, yeah, I guess it's yeah, it's quite different than the rest of to the rest of Germany because the whole port situation and the you know the red light district and the Reaper Barn. So, yeah, it's always been very international because of the port and sailors coming in, bringing music and everything. It was more modern than the rest of more Germany. More progressive. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, I, I mean, it was beautiful. It was very depressing in the winter. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the greyest place I'd oh, ever been yeah. in my life. Oh, yeah, it is. I just remember it feeling cold and grey forever. But, you know, we found our way and it's quite a lonely experience when you're just thrown out because there wasn't much, say care around what you did between rehearsals or when they needed you to get on the tour bus and go on stage mm. so we kind of just left to our own devices so we had to kind of work stuff out mm-hmm. and that was quite an interesting thing like oh my god what have we done and and how would the tours go because uh based, you know obviously i i my experience is like a rock based thing which is you know band and guitars and amps and uh, you know that you have the tour van and all that and in your case, was it more like, did you play in, in discotheques or... Oh, uh, yeah, I mean... Kind of festivals? Lots of festivals. Uh-huh. Lots of TV. Uh-huh. We were just studio TV to shows, studio yeah. to studio. At the height of Revolution in Paradise, we had a private jet oh, wow. jumping us really? from concert to concert, like probably peak festival time when uh-huh. it was the kind of scene with all the... The, the interesting thing for me was, obviously, it was just another gig, but yeah. what it turned out to be is we became very much represented as part of the band. Mm-hmm. So though I don't sing, I really... Yeah, but he, because it, it was it had the name Heath Hunter and the Pleasure Company, so it was the, yeah. you, the impression when you got yeah. reading that name was that it's ju- not just a guy, yeah. right? Mm. So we became obviously very much the Pleasure Company and we were um, always involved in the interviews and the, and the TV oh, and okay. the press. So it was a fascinating gig to suddenly be playing the life of a pop star uh-huh. thrown into the madness of 90s germany wow. euro trash scene having and it was way more than any job i'd ever done before because i wasn't just the dancer behind the artist i was actually a, a front person in the whole project so 
it was it was fascinating to have an insight into being a little pop star for a while. Would would you be treated well by the you know bookers and, and yeah. was it respectful? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had the same um, record company over there as East Seventeen. Do you remember that? Uh -huh, yeah, of course, East Seventeen. Yeah. Now <laughs> they were big. It was one massive big concert. I can't remember the name because there were so many, and it was before the concert it was like a two o'clocker, or was it in an early evening? I, I all I can remember is we were being treated well in like a private VIP suite, Heath Hunter and, and E17, because we were being looked after by the same okay. label. Yeah. And um, Brian, is it Brian the naughty one, who's the lead the, singer? The little one? Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. I can't even read it again. <laughs> I had a friend, he had all the CDs back then, who later also got into hardcore, which is quite interesting, but he had all the Eurotrash CDs, Two Unlimited, E17. He was a big E17 fan and got, I won't say the name now, <laughs> he got the The baggy pants and all that. Yeah, well, I sorry. got it turned out in massive trouble because the little one from East 17 kept asking me to ask the waiter for more wine. Uh -huh. Just like, can you get another bottle of wine? Oh, can you just order some? I'd be like, oh, innocently, can we have a thing? And anyway, he got really, 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 really pissed, pissed yeah. before the gig. Mm -hmm. And we, me and him were called in to the record company in, in disgrace. Because he told oh. he told her that I ordered all the wine. Ah, uh -huh, wow, that's bad. <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget feeling such a tit. Just uh -huh. like I got properly stitched up there, naughty, naughty boy. Well, as if he's like not, you know, not <laughs> responsible very, for himself. Not very cool. No. But um, I think that was kind of the way he was rolling. It was, mm -hmm. but I said it was a it was a heady situation to yeah. be in. Um, we did seem to be really well received and we weren't just big in Germany we were big in Russia mm -hmm. um, Poland Finland and France mm -hmm. and we did some epic gigs when we were flown in and treated like royalty really? <laughs> it was wow. really quite an extraordinary experience yeah, yeah. to live It's like big pop stars yeah. that's what I'm saying with the jet and everything it was an insane bubble of experience and um, but was there also this kind of um Boredom that you read about when, you know, big stars talk about the touring thing that you just ship from one place to another. You don't even remember which yeah, where you are. No, no, it's true. Mm. Um, I think I didn't use very much of my brain for the whole two years I was involved with the band because you have the tour manager who deals with every aspect of your life. Mm. And that's just done dates and times and places. And you get a list, which is your tour schedule. And you're picked up, you're put on. You don't have any say for months of where you're going or what you're doing. You just have the responsibility of getting up and performing yeah. when you're thrown onto the stage. Mm -hmm. So it did feel like you're kept in a box and thrown out. And again, you don't know where you are or what you're doing. And I can see how it goes, sends so many people crazy. Yeah. I did it for a very, very short time. I wasn't even um, the lead singer, so I didn't have that extra pressure on me. But I could see how it would really mess people up. It's You eat so badly. Yeah. It's really, I mean, we weren't, big enough to have a macrobiotic chef mm -hmm. on board at the time yeah i guess the, the the people that do it for decades they just um they, they just make the rules and it has to be That's what the I'm way they say it, yeah right? you'd have Rolling to stones or whoever. it's not sustainable mm -hmm. to do it and i said they're trying to milk you for the success of the hit at mm -hmm. the time so yeah. you, it's just crumbing i remember being so tired the night they're throwing us on a jet to the other side of germany to mm -hmm get I mean just thrown back on stage and it's like oh my god and again off we go just 
you really don't know where you are or what you're doing and you just get caught in and it's only when what was strange is we'd arrive in Germany and you get um, a little bit of attention at the airports and yes. stuff and, and people start to recognise your people recognise you in the street flying back to England was quite a <laughs> <laughs> down to earth with a bang nobody cared nobody uh-huh. knew <laughs> like, oh that's so interesting so that was this and also what was interesting is one of the um, big roadshow festivals that we did which was a whole bunch of us like 20 bands uh-huh. went from arena to arena to arena doing a massive like a summer tour and on that tour was um it was Justin Timberlake NSYNC NSYNC when they were little babies he was there with his mum it's the first time they'd done anything in Europe and we were on the same tour so I've got it's hilarious hanging out with them they were really cool mm-hmm. I, um, so you did hang out with all the other bands and get yeah. to meet some of those because I mean especially on people. this particular we did something like it felt like a lot of dates within the same tour with this bunch of bands so there's a lot although everyone had their own tour buses there was a lot of crossover we'd get to eat together you obviously got to know each other better I ended up on NSYNC's tour bus randomly sitting next to Justin when he was six, 16 years old because wow. I had a little bit of a tour relationship with one of the other members <laughs> oh, of NSYNC okay so because NSYNC is, is interesting because I think they they started getting I'm not correct me if I'm wrong. I think they first got big in Germany, but then also in the US, which probably nobody had anticipated because that kind of boy band thing was big in Europe. But then NSYNC got pretty big in the US Massive as well, right? And they they had they were after the Backstreet Boys. The Backstreet Boys kind of paved the way for that boy band model to, that was popular also Europe and America. And I think they they did it even better. They seemed to. Yeah, at first I remember when they came out and sync, it was like, yeah, come on, this is total, you know, blueprint copy of the Backstreet Boys. But then they they became bigger they than the Backstreet Boys. I know, Boys. that's what I'm saying. They were they were impressive. Really serious work ethic. Really good guys. So, yeah, so we got to hang out with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, Two Unlimited, Captain Jack, DJ Bobo, all of those. Mr. President. Who was your... Who, Mr. President. Mr. President, yeah. We were... Um, who were your favorite people from that Mr. scene? Mr. President. And I used to hang out a lot before we went on stage. Uh, But you know that Mr. President, later they, they, they exchanged him, right? Yeah, they Which swapped so him bad. over. They just Awful. swapped him over. He gave, this, gave another guy the, the red hat and, and had him do really, it. And it was weird. like as if nobody would notice, you and know? They do that so much. I was much. like watching Viva all the time. I noticed, you know, this know. is not Mr. They did President. They did it with Fragma as well. <laughs> Do you remember Fragma? No. The I Need a Miracle. She was a little bit later. Uh-huh. They changed, it just exchanged her as well. But he was cool, Mr. President? Yeah. Apparently he still asks after me now, he oh. said. <laughs> <laughs> Made a good impression. That's that. But no, it, it was, it, I enjoyed the the lightness of the Euro trash. Some of the mm. nice vocally stuff. Mm-hmm. I would never have been into your hardcore cool music. Well, <laughs> that was such a different scene well, for me. This was quite different, of course, yeah. I was very for, for us, it was a bit of a reaction, you know, to this, to this dance and techno music that we we got into playing in bands and, and playing rock music. And, you know, st- basically started in the early 90s with bands like Nirvana. And then for me, the, then there was this punk explosion in the mid-90s with bands like Green Day and Offspring and all that. Mm. That's, that. That was when I realized, wow, you know, these songs are really easy to play, so maybe I could try that myself. And um, I remember uh, maybe in fifth grade, 
I got a T-shirt that said "Give Techno Keine Chance." You understand that? No chance for for techno because it was like a an ad campaign. Give AIDS Keine Chance. No chance to AIDS, and then they just changed AIDS with techno because <laughs> you know techno was really hated and and all that kind of music. But yeah, well, like like I said before, it's it still was very present. Maybe that's why it was too present. It was everywhere. In it was every so, TV show. It was flooded. That's what I mean. It yeah. was it was very very in, intensely commercialized. Yeah. All of this and um and then it disappeared. And now I think uh now I guess it's rap. Is it? I guess so. Because it's everywhere now and at that time it wasn't so popular in Europe. It was already in the States, you know, that the rap stars was so big. And now there's so many rap rap stars that have a lot lots of money, big videos with the da girls dancing. Yeah. It kind of took over. It's more very Americanized. Yeah. Now. And it's um what what I like actually about thinking of it now about the Euro trash thing, there was no cool attitude. It wasn't oh, they weren't no, cool. There was no you know? chance for Keith anyone to wasn't be cool. cool or no. Mr. President. It, it was, was like more like cheesy. It was cheesy and it was and innocent, I think. They would make fun of you know, they would probably know that they were being made fun of by many people but probably didn't care. Which no. is which is cool, you know. That's you're right. Because rap is all about being cool, right? And yeah. the tough cool. There was no guy. attitude about any of this scene. And I think that's part of the reason why it was so enjoyable. Yeah. It was just throwaway. It was it was just fun. Yeah. It was actually No attitude, just fun and no brains. We were we were um sponsored by Bacardi Breezer. Mm-hmm. Because we had a totally tropical taste in the uh -huh. band, wow. <laughs> and we had in the video you're dancing. Where was that? Which beach was that on? I can't remember. I wasn't. They made the video before I got out there. Oh, you wouldn't. Okay. Sadly, I didn't go to that Caribbean spot, so oh. I'm not sure. Yeah, looks like a like Jamaica, in the Caribbean. I think, could or something. Be. Could be. They made the video, and then obviously realized that the the tour schedule was going to ramp up. They needed to put some strong faces at the front. <laughs> My lucky day. Which is when you came in. Uh -huh. But, you know, jumping around in um, bright yellow baggy dungarees with the bag Bacardi Breezer badge on your, on your chest. You uh -huh. can't really take yourself no, too seriously, no. can you? You just gave me a CD because back then there were, I remember these compilation CDs. It was such a big thing. And it's ridiculous because it's, you know, it's a double CD and people used to buy them all the time in my class. I remember Bravo Hits, Maxi Dance Sensation. And these CDs would cost, I don't know. 14... 14, 15 euros yeah. now, I guess. And it's just a compilation. But anyway, they made big, they made, this was like money printing machine, this, this scene, right? And when I, when I look at the track list, I still really do most, know most of them. DJ Bobo, Mr. President, of course, Heath Hunter, Mark Morrison, Rings a Bell, Tic Tac Toe. They were big in Germany. They were big. The three, three girls, Leck Mich am ABC. The Delinquent Habits, Tres Delinquentes. And they wrote it wrong, but anyway. <laughs> Blümchen, did you meet her? Yes, she was sweet. We had the same management for a time as her. Mm -hmm. She was a. They were. She was really big. She blew us out the water with her bigness. <laughs> <laughs> Mark O, he was big. Snap, of course. I mean, Snap was one of the bands that started it all. I think the whole dance thing. They were there in '92, maybe. They also were one of the bands that I knew from England. Oh, okay. Probably. One of the only ones. Oh, and Scooter, they were the worst. Oh, awful. awful. Scooter, I've got a photo of me and Scooter in a <laughs> in a hotel corridor somewhere uh -huh. in our dressing gowns. Uh -huh. yeah. no, 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 no. There was no Scooter action, but it's just it, that he actually 
Yeah. Was a little lacking in warmth, I'd say. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, unbelievable how how these bands could make so much money then. Uh, I mean, I don't know if the bands, if if money ended up getting to them or just the agencies, management, and record companies. But yeah. anyway, there was a lot of money made with that kind of stuff. And were there a lot of assholes around also at that time? I think you've got that in everything, haven't you? I mean, yeah, yes. I, I know. There was there was layers of maybe unsavory things that we mm -hmm. saw, but again, my position I was quite protected from most stuff because mm -hmm. I was just sent out there to bounce around like a bouncing bimbo on the mm -hmm. stage in yellow dungarees and mime when I was shouted to mime. And, they... and was there like any you know eccentric pop star behavior that you that you noticed somebody smashing probably only for hotel me. Rooms? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, Or were they good, well behaved in general, the, the dance trash people? Again, that um, blurry. Because back then, back, like right when we, you know, 2020 now, today, it's all about being healthy and vegan and yoga and, and all that. And back then, it wasn't the cool thing was, to no, do. No, no, it, being healthy much, or doing sports it wasn't was actually cool. cool to be as unhealthy as possible. Exactly. Back then. Right? So that's really changed. Yeah, yeah. We were filthy. I mean, awful, dirty food. Yeah. Lots of sausages, <laughs> of German sausages. Uh -huh. It wasn't um, a healthy time at all. Luckily, we were young and we could get away with it. Mm -hmm. But I remember feeling like you needed to detox your life out by the time you got back off tour. You mm -hmm. felt rotten because mm -hmm. you eaten road food all the time. And then probably don't sleep much. You don't. It was... It was Very, very, very funny time mm. because in our particular band, I was the only girl for a while. Mm -hmm. They sent this one mm -hmm. packing, and mm -hmm. um, so it was just me and two or th two rasters and Heath, mm -hmm. me and the three guys. It was a totally imbalanced. They were rotten. I got upset Heath once on. We used to entertain ourselves on the tour bus because what else can you do? Yeah. I cut off one of his dreadlocks. Oh. That's a really bad thing to do <laughs> to a raster, especially a half raster. <laughs> He didn't speak to me for about a month. <laughs> But it, it was full on, the oh, sweaty, stinky <laughs> big uh -huh. guys. And did he forgive you? Has he forgiven you the cutting off the raster thing now? I, yeah, I think Or he's, he's, he's still, still upset I think, about that. I think there's still an element of anger there when, yeah. I, when we bring it up. But he's forgiven me. There was there was crazy behavior because it was a very intense pressure cooker yeah, scenario. Um, kept in really small tour bus and then released out. And then you get all the fuss and the attention. Mm. And then back in the tour bus, it, it naturally, there's quite a lot of dynamics going on there. And the, my co female from the pleasure company mm -hmm. used to really wind me up she was really mm -hmm. really quite a testing little character and we had a few clashes and one night she at an after concert after gig dinner with everybody in the same place she made me so cross i put her face in her pudding oh <laughs> Wow. So just watch out. And I've never done that to anyone. It's one of those wow. things you actually dream of doing. Uh -huh. Now, that's how mental the whole thing was. Uh -huh. It was like you weren't really in real life yeah. during that time. Yeah, I guess when you're sleep deprived and, and on uppers or oversugared. You know, you know, did you know the Beatles actually when they went, were in Hamburg and they played every day or twice a day or three times? I don't know. And they would they would just give them pills, you know. I don't know what, what kind of pills, but they, they, they were taking pills all the time. 
back then it was I think it was more or less legal the the stuff they took, but they didn't really sleep. Well, like amphetamine kind of. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Puppy stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, crazy. It wasn't we weren't quite that abused, but um, mm. <laughs> it was it was a bizarre time. But reflecting now, it was an amazing experience mm. to have had. It was almost it was a very capsulated scene. Mm. It doesn't seem to have triple tri- trickled through mm-hmm. so much i don't know how much influence has been left behind if it just got neatly wrapped up as euro trash from the 90s yeah. and put to one side yeah there, surely there will be some kind of revival at some point i guess i think there needs to be yeah if it hasn't already been that we haven't noticed maybe <laughs> maybe you'll get a call from russia and they'll bring you back they on need stage me back. <laughs> so so going back what was what kind of music did you listen to when you were growing up do you remember like Anything that you particularly liked? Do you know what? This is a really embarrassing question. Well, it it has to be embarrassing. This kind of thing is the first for your first favorite song. It has to be embarrassing. You no, know, my I, tell I don't you, believe when anybody tells me my first favorite song was you know something really this cool, really cool song. No, so I can tell you, one of the first CDs I bought was "Bed of Roses" by Bon Jovi. Okay, okay. so that's it's pretty low. So what was the theme tune to? Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Anything With I Kevin do, Costa. I do it for you. Oh, yeah. Brian Costa. Adams. It's the same kind of category, this power <laughs> of ballads. I loved a good power ballad back then. But that, is that the first, your first favourite song that you remember? Or do you have no, I'm trying to be back? cool now. You know, you're pushing <laughs> me into a corner. I was brought up on a diet of musicals. Musicals. Uh-huh. So The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow mm-hmm. was a big song. I thought I was going to get adopted by Daddy Warbucks. Do you mm-hmm. remember the movie Annie? No, no. Okay, come, you should watch it at some mm-hmm. point. I think it just it's every kid, or I'll, I'll invite your children over <laughs> and give them a taste. Mm-hmm. The musical Annie about the little redhead orphan mm-hmm. in New York City back in the Depression in the 1940s. She's living in an orphanage, okay. and she sings a song, The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, and mm-hmm. she thinks that maybe her parents are going to rock up someday. Mm-hmm. They never do, but she gets adopted by a um, a billionaire tycoon oh, wow. and becomes his adopted daughter that all ends up beautifully in the end mm-hmm. i wanted to be her not that my parents were that bad <laughs> <laughs> but so i was really influenced by musical stuff uh-huh. the musicals um were a big part of um my world my mum liked to keep me very young for as long mm-hmm. as possible do you know what she used to buy me pinky and perky what's that pinky and perky were two pigs uh-huh. <laughs> that used to sing really high-pitched versions of Really old classics, like they think when I'm 69. Uh-huh. Like, they do a pig version of they it. They do pig. Just versions. like our our boys listen to songs being sung with a meow 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 meow. That's the same thing. So, yeah. And you think it can't can't get any worse, but Pinky and Perky were quite influential in my life. Yeah, must have been like the fundament to getting to, into Euro trash. Kind of prepared you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Little piggy singing. I can't believe I just remembered that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Pinky Perky, musicals. I mean, my parents actually liked a lot of jazz and blues and mm-hmm. stuff. But they weren't, uh, like, uh, in, were they musicians or no? Uh, what did they do? No, they were very simple people. My mother was a nurse, mm-hmm. a qualified nurse, and my dad was a bad builder. Mm-hmm. Bad builder. So he was, that was not a very kind thing to say. He was a... <laughs> He was a builder that sometimes would build an uneven walls, but okay. <laughs> he he was um very very simple, sweet people, and uh-huh. I wanted to be as far From opposite. 
Do you have siblings? I have a sister. She lives in Australia. She um, is very different to me. We don't really see eye to eye. We just, it's extraordinary that we even came, were brought up. So my family's quite disparate, really. But it's all good. No, no bad vibes or anything. It's just we're just very different people. So all I did is I grew up not wanting to be like that, that or that. And it was, a, it was, a, it was very important when you know what you don't want to be. Sometimes even more than knowing what you do want to be. Yeah, it's a start. Definitely. It helps you make decisions and choose your priorities carefully. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Especially growing up, it's important for, I don't know, for our generation at least it was. And today it's different, I guess, to uh, kind of, you know, distance yourself from your parents' generation. Musically, for me, that was important, you know, to What be into you? different kind of music, to, to have hair, to dye my hair, you know, red or blue or stuff like that. What just... what were you brought up listening to? Well, the first song that I that I consciously remember listening to was <clears throat> probably on the radio. It was uh, the Pet Shop Boys, actually. So see, that's another point where we're getting closer to the dance thing. <laughs> It was a song called So Hard, 88, 89, 90, something You'll like that. You have to sing it. I'm not sure. Tell me why don't we try just to break our hearts. Oh, that one. Do you know that? No. It's kind of, it's, it's quite cheesy, but I, I don't know, it's a bit sad and happy at the same time. Did you That's like it? That's probably what I liked about it. Yeah, I liked it. But, you know, this is uh, one of the early childhood sins, I guess, just like Bon Jovi and... Then I also like Genesis. And then my first rock band that I that I really liked was a band called Ugly Kid Joe. I remember them. Remember them? Because they were kind of saying. they weren't posing and they weren't they weren't like wearing fancy they clothes. They were very angry. They were quite angry. <laughs> yeah. That probably fit 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 <laughs> in with you. me. So but did you ever play also with um Was it just purely dance um, festivals, for example, or was there some rock bands at some point also that played with you, no. shared stage with you? No, never, they wouldn't never, have been never. allowed. Uh -huh. They were too angry for us. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> we, would, we were all smiles. And no. it was always the music uh, play, played back from, or was it sometimes with live drums? We were normally 50-50. Mm -hmm. You had some instruments also on stage? Yeah, we, we used to have... Um, Especially later on, Heath brought a lot of live instruments okay. on the stage. Uh -huh. That was a really big part. We had the live big um, Brazilian bongos percussion, yeah. and percussion. Uh -huh. um, and he had a sax that he brought in later. And he used to always um, go live over his playback. <laughs> so I guess that, that's better when you, when you have to dance to the music yeah, exactly. when it's actually being played live, right? It's quite right? hard to maintain the... Um, Enthusiasm. The lyrics, uh -huh. <laughs> vocally, uh -huh. when you're dancing like that. And it wasn't a problem for me because I was miming anyway. What was interesting, after the band needed to wrap up this cycle of hits and mm -hmm. go back in the studio, they didn't need to keep me on during that period. So is it Warner Germany called me in for a meeting and they scouted me and wanted to make me a solo artist. Oh, wow. As, as Emma. Cool. And they wanted me to do a, um, a drum and bass remix of Ain't No Sunshine. It was my um, first track. And I was like, this is so kind. Thank you really for the opportunity. But I can't sing. Uh -huh. And they were like, nah, 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 nah. like a panel of six guys. None of them would believe me. I was like, I can't. They'd seen me performing for two years. I already had quite a solid little fan base. Yeah. 
it's just so sweet. But you didn't I want to do it. I can't sing. They didn't believe me. But Millie Vanilli couldn't sing. No, but they don't want another Millie Vanilli. Uh-huh. And look at the the bad PR that happened at that. They, as a solo artist, they didn't want yeah. somebody who was purely miming. Yeah. I said I'd be happy to mime. I'd give that a go. I'll style that out like the best of them, and I would have uh-huh. done. But I genuinely, I've, I'm tone deaf. I'm a bit deaf. I went through stage school. They used to make me sing in the studio at the back of the car park so no one in coming into the college could hear me mm-hmm. there was a, four of us who were terrible and um it was one of those pain points of my life i've been able to style out most things and pull most things off but singing's like so badly something i can't do mm-hmm. there's not even can't even get close and it's amazing how many people have amazing voices but will never do anything with it mm-hmm. it just won't ever be a thing I was in this position of being given a solo record deal and I'm like, no, wow. no, 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 I can't uh-huh. sing. Anyway, they, they didn't listen to me. They made me go in a studio oh, they did. Wow. for a week with the producer. In Germany? Mm-hmm. It was Hamburg again. So they put me up because obviously my contract's finished, but they're trying to push me into this new position. And I rock up and he's obviously given me some stuff to do. And he's like, mm. he's very patient. <laughs> I went in every day and the worst thing was his girlfriend or his wife had actually sung the demo that they wanted me to do okay and she had an amazing voice yeah but she was a large lady uh-huh. who was more suited to radio i think uh-huh. than anything so um it was really awkward so i'm coming in and she's in this i'm like this is just a world of pain it's so embarrassing trying being forced to do the mm. thing you know you absolutely cannot do mm. and you just imagine it was like I'm trying. I'm going to sleep, dreaming that or praying that I would just be able to pop out a bit of voice, and it just wasn't wasn't there, and it isn't there. Anyway, after a week, he sat down. And we had a meeting with the um, the board from the record company. They said, "You know, yeah, she's got great rhythm, <laughs> but as a solo artist, we're not really making much progress with the voice." I was like. I told you, <laughs> you could have wait, saved yourselves a week. And then I went back to England with my tail between my legs. Like, that was such a painful experience. They uh-huh. wouldn't have it. Uh-huh. They just didn't, they'd see me performing. They just like, assumed yeah. I was just being a bit um, humble. Modest, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I can't sing. Uh-huh. Like, people, I genuinely, <laughs> I don't have time to be humble. I can't. So I have got such, even more a big deal. If anyone accidentally gets me to a karaoke or something, uh-huh. go on. I'm like. No, I don't do that. And was your hearing always impaired or did that happen during the being on stage? During dancing on speakers in the the early 90s. So as a kid, it it wasn't... Uh, To be honest, my father has a hearing problem. And um, at school, they used to test on the standard test and say, she doesn't hear as well as she should. We're going to sit her at the front. And that's Mm -hmm. all they ever did. So no real attention was ever paid to it. And I was, you don't know what everyone else is hearing mm-hmm. when it's something you've had always it was after I came back from London I went into tv presenting and I started doing some um got myself a tv presenting agent I didn't want to really dance anymore my pop star days were over mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely didn't want to be um, a recording artist and um I got a live TV gig. It was a football show. Because I was an ex-gymnast, they put two and two together and gave me a sports programme. Okay. I knew nothing about football and I had very little interest in it. But again, when you want to get a gig, you're just like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. give it a go. So I'm interviewing Brian Giggs in the studio. Uh-huh. And I was like, zero interest. I really am not into football in the slightest. 
but they put like it was a live show, so they put a full talk back in my right ear, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to interview Ryan there, and they're chatting away mm-hmm. like like they do, and and I found it incredibly distracting. I didn't know whether I was supposed to be listening to them or not listening to mm-hmm. them, and trying to hear what this lovely fit footballer was trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. It was so disorientating. Wow. So I took, I, I winged it really badly, and then went to. Um, a hearing doctor in London when I got back and I said, can you test my hearing please? Because I've just done an epic fail at what I thought was my dream job. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you've got a 75% loss across oh, both wow. ears. And I was like, he said, how the hell have you got by this far? Mm. So I don't know. Must have been trying really hard and working so much harder than everyone else to try and... Yeah. I guess the brain can cover up a lot. And you know, you uh, read faces. Like, I'm screwed yeah. at the moment with the masks on. Mm-hmm, right, right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. What makes it much more difficult? Also, for hearing, I, I don't understand what people are saying to me when they're wearing masks. No, it's that's so what I'm difficult. saying. So, anyway, they gave me um, hearing aids, mm. which I now still have. Mm. Did a new world open up for oh you? Oh my so? gosh, I was how what how loud is the world? Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. It was right in central London on Bond Street, like mm-hmm. one of the busiest roads in. London, where the clinic was. And I walked out, I was like, I had to take one out. I couldn't mm-hmm. wear two. It was just too overpowering. Wow. It was like, fuck, the world's really loud. <laughs> so that opened up a whole new layer. And, and I think um, shortly after that, I decided I didn't want to do presenting either. Because mm-hmm. that really put me off. Yeah. So I went into business and, yeah. and thought I could be in control. I could be as deaf as I want then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, anyway, it was a great talk on the music Seen in the 90s. <laughs> the ah, cheesy like side. The cheesy side, very, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Nice to see you. So that was it, my conversation with Emma Boardman. I hope you enjoyed it. A different perspective on 90s music. So take care. As you know, space and time travel can be dangerous. So protect yourself and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.